morning, everyone. Is the volume okay? Is that loud enough? Or okay? Hopefully, hopefully that'll work out. So, um, the movie that you just saw is obviously a reenactment of Subul's story, but it's a true story. In 1953, supporters of Mission Aviation Fellowship (MAF) uh, put that little airplane together with Philippians 1 embossed on it and sent it as a support package to one of the pilots. And the pilot actually then landed in Lapa Lama, uh, highlands of Papua New Guinea, and gave that little airplane, wooden airplane, to Subul when he was five years old. And then the rest of the story, as we've seen in that video clip, just retells the story of Subul then uh, also becoming a community leader, a teacher, um, and and then handing at one of the medevac scenarios that we've seen there when one of the girls got sick and MF came to uh, get the, the lady out, uh, handed that little airplane back to who then was the pilot. Um, and the verse that was displayed at the end, Philippians 1, 4 and 5, I'd just like to read it again. Start long number one day. Now you come up and up now. You play even poroman one time. You play long walk long out in good news. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. So we are in this together, and it's my privilege this morning to share with you. Um, but who am I? <laughs> To do this. When Pastor Greg asked me to do this, and he gave me the scriptures for today, and I read through Ezekiel and Matthew and Philippines, I thought those texts are shooting fairly straight. It really doesn't need anyone standing up front explaining it. Um, but he asked me to do it anyway. So here I am. Um, but to let you know my story, um, some of you might know this or not, um, on the, on the picture there to the left is my mum and dad, Elizabeth and Vanna Jakobsen, 25 years in PNG. I'm part of a whole dynasty of professional Christians, if there's such a thing, um, missionaries, evangelists, preachers, pastors, my grandfather, my dad, my uncles, my aunties, my cousin, my brother. Um, all have been into missions work for generations. So, Christina and I decided to follow suit. This is a picture of us 12 years ago in the year that we packed up in PNG after being 13 years there ourselves with MAF and coming back. And the little tyke is our uh, Tristan here. Um, so, the little blondie uh, in front of mom, in front of Christina, is Tristan. So, uh, yeah, I'm here to share with you how I got challenged by the three texts of today, and hopefully they are challenging to you as well. Put up the next picture, please. Um, so Ezekiel. Ezekiel is talking about sour grapes and teeth of children being blunt. Crazy story. Uh, one of the things that my dad was involved in was translating the Bible into which is the district language of the tribes that where my parents were located, Morobe, Finisterre Mountains. 
And one of the areas that he struggled with was whenever scripture came to a point of a saying, how do you translate that? Because you cannot really translate it one for one. The classic one is Jesus says, I'm the bread of life. When my parents first were in Mindig and established their house and my mom was baking bread, she actually gave our local helpers um, some bread to eat. And they all got sick from eating the bread. We didn't know that the entire area, the entire tri tribe basically was glucose intolerance, celiacs. And imagine them reading a scripture that says Jesus is the bread of life and they're all getting sick. So dad obviously had to find creative ways to change the translation in order to not be literal, but to actually hit the meaning. And the text in Ezekiel is another one. This crazy saying about parents eating sour grapes and then the teeth of the children becoming blunt. How on earth is he going to translate that into a PNG context? Actually, an Australian context. Who would understand that these days, eh? So the key, obviously, is to understand what the meaning is behind a saying. What is the treasure behind a saying? I'm going to risk being cheeky. I'm going to ask for a show of hands. Don't be afraid. There's no trick questions. Raise your hands if you have kids. Okay? Keep your hands up. Now raise your hands if you are someone's kid that really needs to have every hand up now. You are someone's kid. Okay, good. Thank you. So I'm going to take a, a semantic contextual inference leap here. So bear with me. Would it be proper, would it be right, appropriate, legit, fair, if my kids claimed that because of nature and nurture, they cannot be held accountable for the choices of their actions? Or put it another way, would it be okay for my kids to argue that nature, so the genes that Christine and I provided to my kids, or nature, the environment, the circumstances in which they grew up in, are to be blamed for the choices of their actions. That's really where that Israel, the Israeli saying is coming from about the grapes and the teeth of the children being blunt. But guess what? God proclaims in Ezekiel that this sort of saying shall not be used anymore, at least in Israel. I wonder about far north Queensland. So in this text in Ezekiel, what it actually comes down to is one little sentence, quite confronting. In that text, he asks the question, why will you die? Lo wanem yubla ilaki die. Then warum willst du sterben? Some scholars suggest that the thou shalts and the thou shalt nots of the Ten Commandments can actually also be translated as you don't need to. You don't need to steal anymore. You don't need to lie anymore. You don't need to have another God besides me. You don't need to die. 
And this is what this text today in Ezekiel is also saying. Then, sin will not be your downfall. So let that simmer in the back of your mind as we go and get ready for the next text. That's the text in Matthew. What you see there is a capture, caption of the Jesus movie where Jesus is in the temple teaching and then the elders and the chief priests come and question him about authority. You need to realize that the context of this story is right after three events. Number one, the cleansing of the temple. Jesus comes in and cleans up shop, eh? Number two, he then heals the lame and the blind. Number three, he then curses the fig tree. If you don't know these stories, go back into Matthew and read them. It's amazing, the big context story there. But just within a few days and within three events before this encounter now, Jesus actually displays and shows us the scope of the impact he's after, he's going for. So there's political, religious, societal, economic impact. He throws out the merchants out of God's house. There's personal, private, physiological impact. He heals the blind and the lame. And then there is even ecological, environmental impact. He curses the fig tree and has reasons for it. But that's the level of impact that Jesus wants to have. All-encompassing, holistic, all of life. And no wonder that the authorities are scared silly. Their authority is now in question with Jesus claiming this impact. And rightly so, they ask him, where do you get this from and who gave it to you, this authority? And really, let's be honest, if, if we look in our world today, we as a planet would be a lot more sorted out if we would acknowledge, accept that authority question. Wouldn't it be nice? And I guess that's why some of us are into missions. And it would be interesting if we had lawyers amongst us. I'm not sure whether we do. And it doesn't matter whether you're on the prosecution side or the attorney side. Um, for, for lawyers to come and analyze this event, this exchange, the tactics that are being used by both sides. Obviously, the chief priests and the elders are coming to trick Jesus with this question. And Jesus applies his own tricks to get himself out of a corner and maneuver them into a corner. It's quite brilliant, actually, how, how that conversation unfolds. And it's intriguing. Jesus actually says, if, if you don't answer my question, I'm not going to answer you either. But he actually, he still answers the question. And he challenges the authorities, and I would say, us, you and me, from two angles, from two perspectives, from two levels or niveaus. The first one is reasonably easy. Number one, our actions speak louder than our words. Okay, and whoever has worked or is working in a cross-cultural context with indigenous people knows this. I, as a German Caucasian expat in PNG, know fully well that my Papua New Guinean brothers and sisters read me like a book. 
Okay, it's not so important what I do say. It's much more important what I do do. And there is lots of Bible passages that prove the point. You know, there is this, this one passage that says, they will know that you are my disciples by your I love yous? No, not by words. By your love, by your action. And then the second and third perspective or level that he is challenging us is what's driving this? Obviously, he's, he's got the elders and the chief priests really badly there. What is driving this question? What is the motivation behind your words and your actions? Are they mirrors of you, of me, of I being honest, true, without pretense, without ulterior motives? What about my self-preservation need, my self-gratification need? What about my career what about my need to manage my insecurities? So that's, that's the story of Matthew. Let that simmer in the background a little bit. Can I have the next picture? So here we come to Philippians. It's a famous passage. Under theologians it's called the kenosis passage. It's, it's Greek and stands for the great emptying, but not yet fully depleting of one of the members of the Trinity. So this, this text in Philippians, you know, lots and lots of books and volumes of theological wisdom have been written about the kenosis passage, this emptying of it. But for us it's this famous display of what this God three in one Jesus could do and has all the right to do but chooses not to. And then how he does it. And therefore challenges us to do the same thing. So Paul presents Jesus basically as a case study of how this works. Actually, the case study or the Mark 1 version or the already better tested Alpha version, the original of you don't need to die. Actions speak louder than words. And my motivation, what drives me, is really, really important in everything. And therein lies his authority. So how are we doing and how are our elected leaders and authorities worldwide doing? We have presidential elections. Christina as an American and I as a half-American, in a sense, every evening watch the news, the American news, just for amusement. I mean, it's just crazy what is happening in the States around the presidential election right now. If it wasn't sad, actually, it's actually sad. Um, what about COVID-19 management? What about economic recovery? What about Black Lives Matter? What about All Lives Matter? What about climate change? bushfires, border conflicts. Central East Africa is experiencing right now the worst, biggest, largest, locust plague on this planet's history, recorded history. Droughts, floods, earthquakes, hurricanes, Ebola outbreaks in the Congo, terrorism on a lot of corners, 
the largest people displacement movement this planet has seen so far. And those are just global level issues, not even our personal ones. Paul talks about encouragement, comfort, tenderness, compassion. It seems like that's exactly what the world is after, yearning for, craving for, starving for, and maybe some of us too. And Paul talks about make my joy complete. I would suggest it's not just Paul's joy. It's God the Father with a huge smile, with a heart bursting with pride and joy if he sees us as children act in one mind, in one spirit, in one love, in Christ's love. Could I have another picture? So, I stand in front of you, I guess, as a, as a math guy through and through. I've been with math for 25 years, wear the uniform, I've been a pilot and instructor and a manager. There's a few pictures up there for, of my band, my, the, the band of brothers that we are, and increasingly so also band of sisters too. We have more and more ladies are joining our engineering team and pilot team as well. Um, so there's an undeniable, underappreciated or under, uh, under-advertised fringe benefit of working for an NGO like MAF. Um, it's, it's because we are basically another one of those case studies of what Paul is asking for in in Philippians, very practical, very tangible examples. I'm working with a hundred percent, some people would say even 150%, but a hundred percent professional, passionate professionals. But they're also a hundred percent sold out servants, motivated by, driven by, fueled by, sustained by this common love in mind. In spirit, we had to obviously, as an organization, find a way to express this. And we said, we express this by holding on to six, six core values. Everything that we do is measured by care, witness, impact, partnership, excellence, and stewardship. And our mission is to see isolated communities physically and spiritually transformed in the name of Christ, and we just happen to use airplanes and related technologies. But that's, that's the beauty of being involved in one of those case studies of, of Philippians, where no one is after a career. Actually, we learn very quickly that it's a career killer being involved in MAF, but that's not why we do it. One of the moments that made my career, I guess, within MAF was one day I was in Mount Hagen, chief pilot, uh, flight ops manager office in our headquarters in Mount Hagen, and I get this phone call from Moresby from the UN office. And um, a German guy, happened to be a German guy, called me and said, I'm such and such, I'm coming up to Mount Hagen tomorrow, I need to book four hours of your time because we have a multi-million dollar project and MAF needs to help us. And I go, oh, okay, we'll see. So he comes with the lunch flight from Moresby to Mount Hagen with the Air Nogini jet, comes into the office, 
we shake hands, he sits me down, and for about half an hour he explains that there's this eight or nine million dollar geo-mapping project and how MAF has to supply airplanes and fuel and pilots and local know-how about the weather and community liaison and all of that stuff. And then after he was done with his monologue, he looks at me and says, so how are you going to do it? And then I said, sir, allow me to explain who we are and why we are here and what we are actually about to do for PNG. So I explained that 75 years ago, ex-Air Force bomber pilots in America, in the UK, and in Australia got together and said, well, for the last seven years or whatever, we've, we've learned some skills. We've learned some skills to throw bombs and kill people. But we've got skills to fly airplanes. Can we not use those talents to advance God's kingdom? So independent from each other, they started Mission Aviation Fellowship. Same name, three groups, completely independent from each other. Within one year, heard of each other and then started MAF International, Mission Aviation Fellowship International. And we are now active in 35 countries. I can't remember what the action numbers are, 130 airplanes, 40, 40 pilots. Um, and then I explained to this UN gentleman project manager that we are driven by God's spirit, that we are driven by God's love, and that we are looking after the little people in the bush, that we, that we support them, that we, that we look at them holistically, that we want to have them spiritually and physically transformed. So after I was done with my monologue, he looked at me and says, oh, I'm talking to the wrong company. And I go you are probably not talking to the right company. That's correct. There's lots of other operators that can do what you need much better than me. Um, good luck. Nice to meet you. So he left. And because our meeting wasn't four hours long, it was only an hour long, I offered and he accepted to be shown around. So I hooked him up with one of our staff members. And, and then he saw our headquarters, our engineering department, our maintenance department, our training department, and our operational base as well. And I had already dismissed him out of my mind. Um, and then I saw the Air New Guinea afternoon jet land, the one that he was supposed to jump on again to go back to Port Moresby. And then I saw, saw him running down the tarmac back into the office, and I go, Ooh. What's going to happen now? And he says, oh, just before I jump on, I just have to say something. I've never seen anything like it. And I go, what have you seen? And he says, well, I've never seen such a diverse group of people work with one purpose. I've never seen so many different tasks, but such focus. I've never seen so much care. I've never seen so much joy. Yes. I thought that made my day. It, it, and I shared that the next day with all of our staff, obviously. And, and sort of that is a career highlight um, for, for me to be able to say, you know, um, working out Philippians is possible. We can do it. So don't, don't be afraid of it. Therefore, may we all together, as we leave through this door in a few minutes, know and believe that yes, 
by nature, nurture, and choice, we do sin. And yes, by nature, nurture, and choice, people sin against us. But it doesn't need to kill you. It doesn't need to kill them. You don't have to die. Therefore, may our words, our I love yous, be a good match to our actions, our acts of love. Therefore, may we never be afraid to let go of ourselves and our agendas. May we be actually happy and excited to pour ourselves out, to not hold back, to give everything. May we believe in and invest into people, even if it's countercultural, counterintuitive, and just crazy risky. Because God is doing it for me and with me, and believe it or not, He's doing it with you as well. Amen.